Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. Welcome to the Conversations That Could with Dermot Brereton. Do you have a mate that doesn't seem great? Maybe their team is up, but they're still down. A dare fix won't fix it, but a conversation could. Ask Are You OK? Dare Iced Coffee, a proud partner of Are You OK? Welcome to the Conversations That Could. I'm Dermot Brereton. This is a show where we talk to people from across the sporting landscape and discuss issues surrounding mental health the struggles, the successes, and ways in which we can all support each other through the challenges that life presents. Our guest tonight believes there's never been a more critical time to talk about mental health. He's a boy, he's a rather big boy, a big lad from country West Australia, who had the opportunity to play AFL at the highest level for both Richmond and Sydney. His playing days weren't without their challenges, and he shares his mental health journey to encourage others to do the same. He's a proud ambassador for Are You OK? and also dedicates much of his time to his band, KX. It's my pleasure to welcome Tom Derricks to the conversations that could for Are You OK? Hey there, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, Dan. How are you going, mate? Good to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm wrapped that I get to talk to you. I don't know how much you used to listen to the media, but uh, I remember seeing a a young fella (laughs) come onto the ground in a practice match for Richmond once. And uh, he took this ripping pack, Mark. And I turned around and said to all the Richmond supporters, you got a cracker here. This bloke's going to play 200 games. Yeah. And it didn't turn out that way, but it was looking wonderful early on. Oh, I peaked early, Dan, that's for sure. I, <laughs> I was a NAB, NAB Cup specialist. I should have a NAB sponsorship by now. But, I, um, yeah, I, I started well and then injuries just t- took hold and, um, yeah, it was, it was almost a curse that game because, you know, I was the next big thing at Richmond and I, I was a, the ruckman um, they'd been looking for for so long. And, and <laughs> I mean, I hope I had an impact off the field, but I definitely had a big impact in the NAB Cup. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, you played exceptionally well. And I remember, you know, I was always waiting for Tom Derricks to come on and come and take the AFL world by storm. Didn't happen that way, but you've, you've got your life in a different direction now and you seem yeah. remarkably content and happy with where you're at. I am, Dan, I am. And I think I wouldn't have learned the disciplines and stuff that I've, I've adapted into my life now without that, that journey. And um, although it was a, a rough road, a lot of it, it was some of the funnest times of my life. And I've kind of popped out with all this knowledge and, and discipline and, and a lot of arthritis as well. But it's I've, I feel like I'm young again. And um, I've said it before, it's kind of like the Tetris blocks out of your life. I've dropped back to that that young kid and I've got this new ambition for for life and the passions that I've had throughout life. And I'm, I'm building on that now. And I definitely don't feel like I've retired and, and that's it for me. I feel like that was just a part of 
my story and I learned a lot and I've got lifelong mates and yeah, took a couple of pack marks, took, broke a couple of bones, but wouldn't change a thing. Yeah, well, the, the, you, you're talking about your life in a different direction now. You, you've got your music, you've got your band with you. Your best mate, KX, is the name yeah. of the band. Um, and a lot of times we hear of people who found a bit of fame, found a niche in a certain area, and given it all away because they want to pursue something else. This is not the case with you. You've been a guitarist for many, many years. This is this is your passion from a a, a young age, isn't it, music? Yeah, it is. It is, Dan. So I, I studied music as a kid and, and played guitar at school and was in some garage rock bands. And then I I played football, but I never really took it seriously, especially growing up in, in Dunsborough in the country. You don't really have the big aspirations of playing AFL because it is just so foreign. Um, so I've, I've played a lot of music and then I just had a massive growth spurt and my brother was playing footy in, in, for Claremont in, in the Waffle and I actually went up there and started playing with him and got to about six foot seven and started attracting a bit of attention from recruiters. And then this, this dream, this super foreign dream sort of became a bit of a reality when I started meeting clubs. And, and yeah, the music was put on the back burner because this was like too good to be true and an opportunity to, to grab. And I, um, I mean, I continued to play music throughout my career as a bit of an outlet because I had a lot of downtime being injured. But yeah, it's not something that a lot of people finish football and they're, they're searching for fame in other ways. It was it was actually something that was brewing alongside football and something that I was probably more passionate about, which could have been detrimental to my, my training and my, my games. But I still feel like when I ran, ran onto the field, I, I gave it everything and I put my foot forward at training as well. So to fill in some of the blanks for the listeners, you you went to Richmond, uh, you were there for a few years, played a couple of games, then got recruited by Sydney, there for a couple of years, played, uh, haven't you played 18 Mm. games or so? About that, yeah, we'll round it up. Yeah. yeah, so you've you've played you know twenty something games and and been quite a competent player, uh, and now you're following that journey. So you've stayed in Sydney, I imagine, over the last two years. And for anyone who's lived in in Melbourne or Sydney over the last few two years, it's been a different world, hasn't it? It has, Dan. So yeah, I, I stayed in Sydney. I started in Melbourne, and when I got delisted by Richmond, I, I actually moved back to WA and got a lifeline from the Swans and, and came here. And that, that's been the biggest blessing for me is moving to Sydney. And Sydney opened so many doors, playing the games. And I, I think I played some pretty good games there before I got injured. So I met a lot of people, did a lot of, a lot of networking and kind of built my brand off the back of those games. And my brand being the man I am now and still defining that brand and that man. But it... it revolves around this these conversations that we're having today and and um and the songwriting is kind of coming off the back of that too at the moment it's storytelling it's it's me being vulnerable and it's me being this guy that's come on this journey and and now sitting here talking to you and one of my icons growing up (laughs) very kind (laughs) of you mate it's pretty crazy Gee, I didn't that? think was you were the, that old, Tom. <laughs> yeah, old enough to, to remember. Was it the 89 grand final? When yeah. You Eagles? Yeah. No, that was 91. 91, yeah. that's yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, they were, they were great old days, those yeah, ones. Yeah, with uh, Walsher. 
Oh, he was a ripper, was he? A fantastic <laughs> bloke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He is a good bloke, yeah. Bloody hard competitor. He'd knock your head off and then shake your hand 20 minutes later. <laughs> hey, uh, can I ask you, through this time, you know, we've had lockdowns, we've had stay-at-homes and the likes, and I'm reticent to actually press this all that much because there have been so many people who've severely suffered during the lockdowns, and we're talking depression and real mental health issues. But those that have been fortunate enough to find something to occupy themselves and even better themselves uh, for, for a person such as yourself who's who's had a, a rough ride along the way with some uh, mental, mental illness uh, escapades, you've found your music. Has it allowed you to really look inward and, and even write better, play better, more time in front of, you know, sitting, you know, with a, the guitar on your lap? Has it opened the world even more for you as an accomplished musician? I think so, Dan. And, and to add to your point, yeah, I don't like, you know, celebrating the fact that I've, I've enjoyed lockdown because I know how hard it has been for some. But for me individually, it's been it's been great. I needed a bit of time to take a deep breath and slow down and focus on my music and focus on the craft. I was I was writing a lot, but I was sort of, releasing stuff and then traveling and trying to get it out there instead of sitting back and putting more time into my craft and when you say sitting down with the guitar and um, I did a lot of that I did a lot of that personal songwriting instead of just writing about things that that I see I wrote about more stuff that I've experienced and stuff that I believe in and a lot of personal stuff that I've delved into over the last two years being in and, in and out of lockdown and so the, the silver lining of that has been that and then you know like the digital stuff that i've learned it's been a good experiment to release stuff online and then you know me singing these new songs on my phone and then putting them out there and testing them out that way instead of getting up on stage and and having a bit of a a nightmare with it so it's taught me to be a bit more brave in the sense of releasing and and writing because you know like it's lucky that we get this time on our own but you know the world's crazy, mate. We we don't know what's around the corner, so we got to you got to just go for it. And I've learned that in the last year. What's your view on the world at the moment? The world as an Australian, and what the pandemic's done to us. So how do you think Australian? How do you think personality-wise? Given that we're such a lucky nation of people, uh, and then to have various privileges here removed, how do you think we've we've reacted? How have your mates responded to you as to how? how their worlds are going? That's a good question because I actually wrote, that's the best thing about being a musician. I can I can express myself. And that last song I released as a solo artist last week was um, called Horror Show. And it was kind of uh, my way of articulating my sort of frustration towards the, the leadership or lack thereof in, in Australia. And, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here now trying to get, trying to see my family and, and there's a lot of politics around the border closures and I understand it. Speaking to friends back home who, who are mates but having some difficult conversations with them around the vaccinations and I don't want to go too deep into that but we all should be on the same page and we all should be working together. I, I sense there's some sort of divide and I hope this chat of vaccination doesn't cause too many disrupted relationships. You know, there's, I've seen them in families, I've seen them in friendships and I'm lucky enough to be surrounded by people in Sydney with, you know, the correct knowledge and they're not delving too far into what other people are spreading and believing. And I think to answer your question about 
the world. I'm not going to lie, it's pretty, it's pretty scary. I've got this travel itch to, that I want to scratch next year and I still believe and, and I'm optimistic that, you know, the human race is, is a good race. And we see a lot of people out there that, and I'm sometimes embarrassed to be a man and, and even a human, but I'm still hopeful that we can turn it around and, and you know, work together as one and get through this. No doubt I'm scared, that's for sure. I'm Dermot Burton, and our guest tonight is Tom Derricks, and this is The Conversations That Could, brought to you by Dare Ice Coffee. When your mate bottles it up, a dare fix won't fix it, but a conversation could. Ask, are you okay? More with Tom in a moment. Welcome back to the conversations that could, and we are chatting with former AFL player turned musician Tom Derricks. Tom, that is one of your tracks, Horror Show. Tell us how you wrote it. I keep a journal, and, and I wrote some stuff that was just sort of on my mind, and then I booked the studio out the next day and, and finished the first mix in that day. I was quite chuffed with it, to be honest. It was an experimental indie rock way of expressing myself, and, and then I sent it to some music friends of mine, and they... They quickly told me that it, it sounds like a pretty rough demo, so I made a few few changes and um, and then went back to the drawing board and took some of the political aspects out of it and made it more of a, a silver lining song, I guess you could say. A frustration, but a silver lining song about the leadership and, and the politics, but also the, the stuff that's come out of this lockdown and I'm studying composition and music at, at uni at the moment and it was just about songwriting essentially and, and composing my own project and I, I could have easily used KX music and cheated my way through it but I thought I'd, I'd challenge myself and write some some music that I actually listened to and, and that, that being this, this project and that record in particular which is self-titled so I'm putting my name in front of that which is quite daunting I'm not hiding behind the band anymore yeah. Um, but no, I'm super proud of it. It's something that means a lot to me. And, and I, I wrote that song purely to to show friends and family and, and for me to, to listen to in the car on the, on the way home from uni and the way home from work. And then I thought back to that, that scary world topic and, and you know, you got to live by the sword, die by the sword. And I was like, let's chuck it out and see what happens. And back to that saying, some people liked it, some hated it, Dan, but... A bit like my football. <laughs> as long as as long as they like the man. Hey, uh, you, you mentioned something before the break. Uh, you said you, you you handed the track to some music industry mates, and they were remarkably uh, uh, blunt with you, and and they said, "Oh, it sounds like a a, a rough demo." And <laughs> the 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 critics, and of which in the football world, I am one. And so I could slip into and feel free to say, yeah, you've been one. I remember someone like, uh, say, Paul Roos. Uh, remember the game where the Suns beat Richmond in that wet game up there? And, oh, and Paul, I remember it. And Paul Roos lumped a fair bit of it on you in the last minute or yeah, so. It did. What does the critics do to a young uh, aspiring footballer in a moment, in a statement like that. I'm not having a shot at Rusey because I've been in the same position trying to be honestly critical 
and it might be right or it might be desperately wrong for the makeup of young men. What did it do to you? Yeah, I mean, to, to start with the first point, of, um, it's taught me a lot and it's taught me to be thick-skinned. And, and when I sent this song off to, to yeah, get feedback, I, I didn't enjoy the feedback, but I, I went back to the drawing board with it. And I, I said to him, man, I could kill you right now. And then, and then I sent him the song when I'd finished it and said, thank you, you know. So, but to the, to the 24-year-old Tom Derricks, when, when I dropped that mark and, you know, went into the rooms after the game, I was, that was the lowest point of my life, easily. Yeah. I was gutted. And, you know, internally, damn, you know what football clubs are like. You don't really, straight after the game, I was gutted, but I had people around me coming up and saying, you know, mate, don't worry about it. Like Alex Rance, for one, came up to me straight away. I was in the ice bath and he's like, mate, I remember so-and-so kicked nine goals on me, you know, don't worry, like you'll be back next week. And even Dimmer Hardwick was pretty good. Pretty When I say pretty good, he was, he was okay. Yeah, in the in the long term, he wasn't too too wrapped with me straight after. But mate, I, I flew. I remember sitting on the flight back to Melbourne. I didn't speak for a couple, I reckon a couple of days. It was really difficult. I lost all confidence in my ability. I felt useless. I felt everything under the sun. I felt shocking. And then yeah, it's hard to ignore the media. I did see what Ruzi said, and that's his job. And I, I, I like the bloke. I know, I know him pretty well. I had this crazy experience. This is kind of off topic. When I was listening to one of the AFL podcasts and, and one of the guys on there, I can't remember his name, he was bagging me out about it like this year or last year. And I, I was having a bit of a rough time again. And I was about to try track him down on, on social media and just be like, mate, what's your problem? I can't remember his name, but... Yeah, this is it's pretty emotional, but so I get a phone call from Will Thurstfield and it's he's in tears and he's telling me that Shane Tux just took his own life. Yeah. And I, it was just the biggest, you know, all that stuff aside, perspective-wise, I was just like, who gives this a, a crap about this guy that's bagging me out? When the guy that kicked me that footy that day, it just it took his life, so... That was that was a point of a turning point in my life to you know not not let anything so petty get to me um, because it's it's bigger than that. And looking back now, I, I dropped a piece of leather on a on a bit of grass, and we lost a game. That yeah, it doesn't matter. Five years later, whatever it is, Richmond went on to win some a couple of three flags, and Gold Coast is still you know building and. Um, but Shane Tuck's gone, so I don't. All that stuff does not bother me one bit right now. Um, but to answer your question, yeah, it was it was super tough, and but that's why we get paid, you know. That's why we get good money, and that that's we put ourselves out there. If, if everyone wanted to do it, it'd be easy. If if everyone wanted to do it, it'd be easy. Mm. But it's not easy, and and. That's the hardest part is was copying that feedback and and feeling like you know let everyone down internally and and even externally with friends and family. Yeah, it. it I mean, that's a thirty-three year old rational man who's got life experience talking now. It's got to hurt a twenty-four year old though. Yeah, it, it it hurt a lot. It was tough. Um, 
I was, I remember the game. I was so cooked. I was playing full back. I'm not a full back. And then I, um, I, yeah, to put a bit of a, a light spin on it, I was full body cramps. I, I, I was so unfit. I was, when Chan kicked me that footy, I was like, no, no, do not kick it here. I'm, I can't even touch my toes right now. And I tried to pick, tried to grab it, dropped it, pretty slippery. And then someone's picked it up, kicked it. Yeah, can't remember who it was. I don't, don't really care anymore. Yeah. I haven't watched it since. But yeah, that was that's the funny side of it. Um, <laughs> just a, a, com- a, a comedy of errors, and then the backlash of the week after. I got dropped. I don't think I actually played that well, but it was almost like there was pressure from um, you know the board and whatnot to drop the guy that dropped the mark, which added to that you know yeah. lack of confidence. Damn, it was. I didn't want to go near the football for years after that. Can I can I tell you a story about the the fantastic young man that Shane Tuck was? And obviously, I played yeah. so many games with his father and saw young Shane in the footy club rooms as a kid. And he was a weird cat. He was a beautiful cat, but he was a yeah. different cat, wasn't he? He was fantastic. He was. And I was on the board when he was at Hawthorne. And he's a little bit of a kindred spirit to you in this way, in that. He was playing reserves and we were wondering whether he was locked on, whether it was his go footy, even though he was good. And he came to us and said, can I get a manager? Can you, can you recommend a manager for me? And uh, the, the, the secretary of the football department said, yeah, we get on well with a few Craig Kelly and, and Liam Pickering, all these guys and the likes, we get on well with them. And he said, Oh no, I mean someone like, Glenn Wheatley or someone from the music industry. He, yeah. His love yeah. was... He was a drummer. Yeah, it was drummer. music. He loved yeah. music as well. I know. I see a lot of similarities with me and Shane. We, we got along so well. He was like... Um, people judged him by, by his cover, I guess. And, and the, the Shane that we knew internally was this hilarious, witty, emotional guy. Um so funny. Some of his some of his jokes and like we used to make these funny videos on on footy trips, and he was always the funniest. Like just his humour was just beyond beyond our years, and and um, we all looked up to him big time as a bit of a father figure around the club, and we had his kids hanging around, and you know that's why it was it was so hard to hear. And I, I still feel like as a team and as as friends, we haven't had a chance to sort of get together and, and celebrate that, that shame. Yeah. So yeah. Um, I spoke to Chris Newman recently about organising something when when we can all get together because it happened sort of in the in the lockdown last year, and um, we just haven't had a chance to take take a breath and and take a look at at the shame that we love. Yeah, again, he was the first guy to come up to me in the rooms on Monday morning and and he was like, oh, mate, I, sh- I shouldn't have kicked you that ball. You're in the worst spot, you know. And I was like, mate, it is not your fault. Not- That's the type of guy he is. He tried to take it on himself. I'm like, mate, I dropped the footy. Let me cop this. It's not going to be good for my mental well-being for a while. I didn't say this, but in yeah. my head, I'm, like, I'm not going to be good for a bit. But, mate, you know, now we're here talking about Shane who's, who's not here, so... 
Yeah. Yeah, he's a bit of a chip off the old block. The old man was one who didn't say a lot, but when he <laughs> spoke and he tin made a tinge of humour in it, it came out hilariously. So, yeah, <laughs> I imagine he's, you know, as he grew into a, a, an older man, uh, Shane, that is, um, yeah, he was a, a, quite the chip off the block. Oh, crazy. It's just, when I first met him, I was actually scared of him. He had this big, long cargo tracking shorts on and and runners and, you know, the mullet. And, and the evil stare. And the evil stare. And then you're like, you sit in the spa with him and he's just like wants to get to know you and just this beautiful soul. And, and yeah, mate, I miss him so much. I used to speak to him all the time. And, um, yeah, it's a, it's a tough one to talk about. Yeah. Can I ask you, um, being such an experienced man now, knowing all the players you've played with and seen them in football clubs, if you were, I know you won't, but if somebody said to you, would you come back to our club and would you come to this club and would you help us with, you know, the, the, better, the betterment of our players, what are some of the things you think could be instituted for the betterment of young men? I think when I speak to... Um, people like Dave Asprey and, and Shane Edwards and then good friends of mine in Sydney like Dane Rampey. And they've, they've, they've kind of brought in the, the factor of, you know, let's just enjoy ourselves a bit more and, and celebrate each other's, um, you know, differences. And, and, you know, everyone is different. You know, Dan, like you're a charismatic footballer and I don't know if you were celebrated but back then, but you'd probably be... Even more celebrated playing nowadays, um, but yeah, a bit of advice that I'd give to the to the kids is just be like, especially coming out of the game and and realizing how quickly it does go, and then how you know you can really set yourself up, definitely. But it's also just a tiny part of your life. So play with flair, you know. Don't don't worry too much about what the media are saying. They're, they're always going to be talking a bit of smack about you. Just enjoy yourself. I mean, make friends with your coach. I was, I was, I had the hardest conversation with Damien Hardwick when I went in and told him I had had depression. But it was this conversation which ignited my confidence again, which is funny because he was like, "Mate, I knew something was up." You know, we drafted you with this X factor and and this flair, and you came into the footy club with, you know, you were, you were, you owned the place. And people loved you. People wanted to be around you. Then you took took that to the footy field, and then I dropped this bloody mark in in uh, wherever it was in Gold Coast somewhere, and it was all sapped. And then having that conversation with him, I kind of started to breathe a bit of life back into that X factor, and took it onto the park. And the fact that he knew um, helped me to sort of. I knew he wasn't looking at me, judging me. I knew he, was, he had my back. So. You know, I think those relationships are huge. And if I was in a football club now, I would be big on building those relationships from, from the, you know, the board to the, the rookie list, building that. So then you're not rocking up to the club anxious, worried about what other people are thinking. You know what they're thinking. They're telling you. You're having these ongoing conversations because at the root of it, you're all friends and you're all there for the for the one reason, which is success and and even more so building building your brand and building the person you want to become there's a big difference isn't there between fighting uh alongside you 
to get you better rather than fighting against you to get the best out of yourself. Exactly, Dan, exactly. And I think Richmond are a, a great example of that now. I know the relationships that Damien and, and the players have and, and you can tell when you see guys like Jaden Short and these young kids running running out and winning best and fairest. They probably came to the club not expressing themselves, thinking because they were rookie listed, they didn't have the, the same opportunity as a, as a Dustin Martin. But then, you know, he comes out and expresses himself on the field and, and wins the best and fairest and a couple of flags. So proof is in the pudding there, mate. This is the conversations that could. I'm Dermot Brereton and we're chatting with Tom Derricks. If our conversation tonight has raised some issues for you, you can call Lifeline on 13 11 14 and that is 24 hours a day they are available. Or you can call Beyond Blue 1300 Welcome back to the conversations that could with Dermot Brereton. Mate not feeling great? A dare fix won't fix it, but a conversation could. Ask, are you okay? We will survive. Time is ticking. I'm not fading out. We'll light the fire. Just keep breathing. Welcome back to the conversations that could for Are You OK? I'm Dermot Brereton, and my guest tonight is former AFL player, musician, and Are You OK? ambassador Tom Derricks. And that was his band KX with the song My Friend. Tom, you might know this about myself, but I was a choir boy as a kid, and my yeah. father was a 40 uh, year um, uh, music teacher professional uh, saxophonist, tenor sax. So I study and love my music. And I've got to say, the more I'm hearing your voice, it's got a lovely pitch to it. There's just ever so much, ever so much of a touch of fragility in it, which <laughs> is that just you or do you deliberately try and make it sound that way, if I can say as much? No, it's a good pick-up, Dan. I, I don't deliberately do it, but it, it's something that a lot of people have said and I think – when I say I'm expressing myself, I, I truly am. When I when I even sing, I think having that vulnerability and fragility in, in your voice. I mean, some people might say it, it's um, it's the opposite of that, and it's it's confident and sexy. But you know, I get more people saying that it's it's that exactly that. It's is that you know vulnerability, which is what singing is really. It's when you when people hear me talk and then they hear me sing, they're like, "That can't be you." Be, not that, not saying I'm a good singer, but it sounds nothing like me talking now, you know. So, no, I didn't know that about you in the choir and and your dad, but uh, that's that's great. I'm, I'm so I'm studying music and I'm surrounded by these incredible lecturers and and they, those guys know so much. And oh. I mean, when when I finish this this degree in, in probably about ten years, I'll probably the only job I'll be able to get will be a lecturer, so I'll probably be one of them too. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot. I left out a brother who would be very uh, disappointed. He's a concert violinist as well. Amazing. And, yeah, yeah, Amazing. And he, 
Yeah, he looks like a bodybuilder. He's covered in tattoos and he's a concert violinist. Work that out. Hey, uh, you yeah. mentioned the vulnerability as well, uh, and we've touched on it without going into it too much. You, you, but I'd like to do so now with your permission. Um, you had a few challenges with depression. Yeah. Um, I can, I'm depicting where I know it rose when you recognised it and how you dealt with it. In your words. Okay, so when you say, I'm, I'm guessing you're thinking about that game, but it was, it was before that. It was um, when I moved to Melbourne. I was quite naive as a, as a country kid. How old? 21, mature age. So, you know, the, expected the world of and It's still, still young. young. Yeah, for sure. Especially as a, as a big guy, still growing. And I didn't really know much about mental health. Actually, I knew nothing about it. I knew nothing about anxiety and depression and I actually thought something was in the air in Melbourne because I couldn't really get a deep breath in. I don't know if the people listening know much about anxiety, but you, sometimes you just can't get a big, deep breath in. You can't breathe properly. And it's funny, as soon as I flew back to, to Dunsborough, I was like, oh, that's better, you know. But it was the fact that I was probably on holidays and not training and I was back home. So my football just started going downhill. I was getting some pretty bad feedback from coaches I was not sleeping well. All all of the above, all the symptoms that I know now of anxiety and depression, I was experiencing them, but without knowing what they were and what it meant. So it took probably a conversation with Damien Dimmer Hardwick to explore other options of, of communication and that being the club psychologist. And, and then it was like, wow, surely, you know, the, the stigma around mental health back then was like, I don't need to see a psychologist. I'm fine. You know, I'm a, I'm a tough masculine guy. Uh, I'm a footballer. You know, I put my, I was, I was count myself as a pretty tough footballer too. I put my body on the line. I'd run back with the flight and, you know, I'd do anything for my teammates, but why would I need to speak to a psychologist about anxiety and depression? But I, I did. And, and one thing the psychologist told me was that, you know, I wasn't the only one. And that, that sort of hit home and that started my journey of, of overcoming it and I'm, and I'm still working on it, even though I'm, I'm very content now and I'm happy in my, in my life in Sydney. And, but I love learning about this stuff. I love learning about myself. I see psychologists once a week. Um, and even if I'm incredibly happy, I'll still go. I'll still call him, who's a good friend of mine, um, it's actually Ed Barlow. I don't know if you remember that. Oh, I right. remember Ed yeah. Barlow, blonde, uh, yeah, blonde he played, Swanies he yeah. Swans and Bulldogs. Yeah. And so, so we've become just mates because we, we speak so much. And he's always getting something else out of me. He's always yeah. challenging me. And he's, he's a funny guy. He's like, you're not going to want to hear this. And I'm like, oh, just tell me, mate. And sometimes <laughs> sometimes <laughs> we'll call, I'll call him and we'll just talk about him for an hour. And I think that's the evolution of my journey is now that I'm having conversations with my psychologist about him and bouncing ideas off each other in a sense. And I think that in a, in a nutshell is a, a little bit about my journey, but there's no doubt it's been a roller coaster with, with football and with transitioning into life after football and learning more about myself. Sometimes there's some hard hitting truths and, and you know, you, you want to get on top of them and you want to become a better man and, I was never perfect in in, the, in my twenties, and I'm not perfect now. But I feel like I'm a well-rounded guy that you know makes mistakes and and 
is open and honest about his my mistakes. And that's one thing I've learned is is to back to your point of vulnerability. I didn't go into this life to be a vulnerable guy and I just now know the power of it. Me having these conversations and having these conversations with friends. Tom, we need to take a break, but on the other side, I'm going to ask you how those vulnerable conversations sound. And this is the conversations that could, thanks to Dare Ice Coffee, when you make bottles it up, a dare fix won't fix it, but a conversation could. Ask, are you okay? Welcome back to the conversations that could with Dermot Brereton. Mate not feeling great? A dare fix won't fix it, but a conversation could. Ask, are you okay? Welcome back to the conversations that could for Are You Okay? Tom, before the break, you mentioned how you catch up with close friends on occasion and you have open and and really vulnerable conversations. Can you, with your permission, can you let us know what that type of vulnerable conversation sounds like? It's amazing what comes back to you when, you, when you're vulnerable. I did this workshop with an organisation called Gotcha for Life about two weeks ago and I got, it was for tradies and I got a heap of my tradie mates to come along and one of them being my best mate. Um, we had to write down a list of things and, and people who have been really important to us in this lockdown and, and mine was Matt, my best mate. The challenge was to tell him how you felt. So I got him around for dinner straight after and, and told him. And funnily enough, he had me. And I would have been pretty upset if I wasn't on his. <laughs> <laughs> and mate, we had one of the most unbelievably powerful, vulnerable chats we've ever had. And he's been my best mate since day dot. Sometimes you might know with, with your best mates and even, even your brothers, sometimes they're not the ones you have those chats with. Yeah. Yeah, you you kind of find your mates that you're not more comfortable. I wouldn't I'm gonna say that, but maybe they've expressed their openness and their vulnerabilities with you, so then you feel comfortable around them. And I think me being vulnerable allowed him to open up, and and it was just super powerful. And that's why I preach all this stuff. And it's not comfortable for me to say, but I see the power in it. Can I ask you, and and with your permission, you made mention then of a powerful chat about your vulnerabilities there'll be people out there listening in and say what does that how does that eventually how does that sound without giving up any of your you know, secrets and and your you know, truth that you, truths that you spoke to your best friend what's it like how does a vulnerable conversation take place could you give us a, a, a mild example Oh yeah, I'm happy to tell my, my secrets as well, and and I mean I won't tell tell his because that's that's for him to yeah. say. But but you know mine were, you know I, I have them every day. Um, when a mate at the coffee shop asks how I'm going, I'll be like, oh, you know I had slept had a pretty bad sleep last night. I woke up pretty anxious, but you know I'm I'm, I'm all right. I, I did a bit of meditation after and. I went for a swim and grounded myself and did my, some of the things that I love doing and I'm feeling a bit better now and, you know, the reason being might be because I haven't been on top of my gratitude journaling and I might not have been surfing enough or been speaking to the family enough, things that I know that make me happier and um, they're, the, they're the little conversations that I have and then I think it's just it, vulnerability is essentially just being honest and 
um, when you're struggling, it's it's about speaking up, and and that's the the fight that we're fighting now with Are You OK? Is and we're trying to infiltrate the, the construction industries and the and the farming industries where, you know, the stigma around that toxic masculinity is, is still quite prevalent. So we're we're attacking them and, and we're seeing a difference, but there's still a long way to go. And you know, mate, I like I don't like being vulnerable all the time, but I just see how powerful it is and, and it's all worth it when my best mate comes around for dinner and and we open up to each other and we, we, we solve some problems too. That's the thing. Yeah. We, yeah. We, we get through some, some nitty gritty stuff that makes us both better people. We're going to go to a break now. On the other side, I'm going to ask you about toxic masculinity. I imagine masculinity is fine, but there is a toxic masculinity. And if you can explain to us how that eventuates and how it is actually expressed, be most appreciative. Hey, Dem, just keep rolling. So I'm going to cut in um, when you start talking, Tom, about um, that vulnerable conversation. So this will be seg four. So we've only got about two okay. two minutes left, Dem. So if you yep. want to just come straight in, um, t- tell, right. me, tell me about toxic masculinity. Go for it. Yeah. Okay. Tom, in my day and age, there was masculinity and masculinity took everything. You, you, it was set them up, knock them down. And if you mm-hmm. blinked, you were out the back door. There's masculinity, which can be really powerful, really good. And as you said, there is toxic masculinity. How is it expressed as toxic masculinity? Yeah, I think we've, we've both seen it at footy clubs. Um, I think we're seeing a big shift now though, which is, which is great. I think the entitlement of a man to, to be a man and, and say the things that we used to say and um, we've all been guilty of it. You can't, you just can't do that anymore. And the beauty of it now is we're teaching people to pull up their friends, and they're often awkward of of um, saying, you know, you can't be saying that anymore. Not not in this day and age, mate. And here's the reasons why. So that that's the big thing we're doing now. And then you know we've we've all seen it, and I've seen it on construction sites where men in particular are hiding their emotions and, and they're the ones that are concerning because, you know, they're the ones that could, that could be the, the shame tux of the world. You know, that's that's the hard-hitting truth. So I think the more people and the more men that are scrapping the toxic side and, and pulling up their mates when they're toxic, it allows the people like the shame tux to come out and maybe open up before it's too late. So yeah. we've got to hit it, hit it on the head now. And, and can I ask you, your, your father's a farmer. If ever there was, and not not necessarily expressing themselves in a way that is taboo in this day and age, but that masculinity which is expected of the Australian farmer. I mean, the amount of poor dear old farmers who actually find real mental problems is yeah. phenomenal. That That's another form, I would imagine, of toxic masculinity, but what they're expected to be. Yeah, for sure. And it's it's funny because dad's always been a, a masculine guy, but he's, he's always been this emotional guy as well. And we actually had this conversation via text the other day and and he was just he just sent me a message saying how proud he was of me and what I'm achieving in this space and and in in the music world as well and I said to him you know mate I, I learned all this from you and then he wrote back well you taught me how to say I love you mate and that 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 literally made me cry and I hearing that from mum and dad the people that taught me 
how to be this person and how to love unconditionally. Getting that message from the, the, the guy that taught you, saying, you taught me how to say I love you, mate. That's the shift that we're seeing now. There's a beautiful moment and that's why I do this. And it's allowing people like the farmers and, and the people that would never say it, I love you, mate, to say it. And it's, it's becoming a thing. Damn, it's, you know, I love you. you know, I love what you're doing. Um, you don't have to say it back. <laughs> you better though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Tom, we've unfortunately run out of time. As I've already expressed and as I know you would have heard in the past, when I first saw you come onto the scene, I, I loved the way you play. It didn't reach the heights that we both probably thought <laughs> it was not. going to go to. I've always liked you as a young man. I like you even more now. We'll, we'll give it a couple of minutes before I say I love you. <laughs> but I am so excited and rapt to have spoken to you today. Uh, you're a, a splendid an outstanding young man and i love what you're doing and i i wish you all the best and before i let you go and sign off mate www.kxlife.com that's that's your website for your band your music where some of the people can listen get access to your music on there as well that's it mate or just uh, my instagram handle tom derricks you can find it all there so have a listen and, and show your support. It'll be mostly appreciated. All right. There you go. I love you now. How's that? Yeah. <laughs> there it is. I was about to, you better say it. Don't leave me hanging. Funny. I know where your farm is, mate. <laughs> Tom, thank you for joining us, mate. You're a bloody legend. Thank you, Dan. I appreciate it, mate. I appreciate what you're doing, and, and it's great. We'll talk soon. Yeah. I never thought I'd be on this show saying, I love you, mate. <laughs> but I have. There we go. What a great guy. If you've enjoyed this episode of The Conversations That Could for Are You OK? and you'd like to share it with a friend or access the resources in our show notes, subscribe to the podcast of The Conversations That Could wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Dermot Brereton, and we'll be back next week. And remember, when your mate bottles it up, a dare fix won't fix it, but a conversation could. Ask, are you okay? Thanks for listening. Listener.